and welcome to the GMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. It's been a whole week, people. Kind of missed you all. Did you guys miss me? It's been a whole week, and it's been a tough week for me personally. I've been stress eating like crazy. A lot of changes are coming. A lot of challenges to deal with. And I've just been heading right to that drive-in. Drive-in? Drive-through. Let's drive-through, right? I keep getting those things confused. But anyway, we have a great episode today, so thank you for tuning in. Oh, is this your first time? Oh, you brought your friend. He, he, they're listening for the first time. Well, you can tell them that they can uh, use a keyboard that's by their fingertips, and they can subscribe to the GMS Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and on SoundCloud, and many other Android apps, just like the CastBox. You can also follow the GMS Podcast on social media. You can follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the GMS Podcast website, gmspodcast.com, where you can also join the email list on that website. And you can donate on Patreon. Just search the GMS Podcast on Patreon. Any little bit helps. Uh, a lot of new stuff. I just posted a new uh, interview. I just posted a new interview for the GMS Podcast food blog. I was having a craving for a hot dog, but not just any other hot dog. I wanted to find the most authentic hot dog in San Jose. And it took some a while to look for it because turns out there's not many hot dog places around here. Like exclusively for hot dogs. Sure, there's wiener shit, so, but come on, that shit just gives you the poops. On top of everything else, uh, what happened to the, the culture, the culinary... Uh, precious uh, being that is the American hot dog. What happened to it? Well, it turns out that there is one hot dog stand left in San Jose. It is located on the corner of Oakland Road and Gish. And I went over there and I enjoyed their sausages. Oh, I, mean, I mean, that's a weird thing to say, but trust me, the food is great. Uh, I'm telling you, you should try it out. Dolly's Hot Dogs. And I got the opportunity to sit down with the owner, who is a, quite a character, and I posted that interview on the GMS podcast, Dispatches from the Kitchen food blog, which is available on the website at gmspodcast.com. So go check that out, will you? And if you really dig her story and how she got started with a hot dog stand, you can also pretty much go give her a visit. Get yourself a hot dog. Treat yourself. All right, let's see. Uh, today's guest is a, another young filmmaker. Uh, this one's special because this guy is someone that I went to school with. I went to San Jose State University with this gentleman by the name of Raghav Ravi. Uh, I know he, he has a longer name, but I do not want to butcher it, uh, you know, because I respect him that much. And we have a great talk. We had a great talk about, you know, just going to school, being in school, about filmmaking, and he got the opportunity to work with the film festival that travels around, so that's pretty cool. And pretty much... I, I, Overall, it's just one of those people where you just know them, and you bring them over to your place, and you just have a great chat. So I think you're going to really enjoy this one, especially if you have interest in filmmaking. I think he has a lot of great insight to it and a lot to learn from it. So uh, without much further ado, let's go check out what's going on with Raghav Ravi. the drive wasn't too bad no not at all i mean i typically make this drive pretty often so i'm used to it when you're going to SJSU, 
Were you driving? Were you commuting from Pleasanton? No, I, I lived downtown when I lived when I went to school there. That's right. Hold on. Yeah, that's right. Because you were part of a frat, right? Yeah, I was part of a frat. So my sophomore year, I moved into a apartment yeah. building right next door to the frat, and then my senior year, I moved into the fraternity for a semester. How was that like? It was cool. Um, I didn't expect to move in, or I didn't expect to uh, be in a fraternity because coming in as a freshman, my roommate was the one that was wanting to rush. So he asked yeah. me, hey, hey, Raga, are you going to be rushing? And I said, what's that? And he explained, and then uh, I was I was like, maybe, we'll see. And he wanted to check out some fraternities, so he took me to a couple, and I said, I'll just come. Well, he's like, hey, do you want to come check out these fraternities? I said, no, but he's like, I don't want to go alone. Can you please come with me? I'm like, okay. So you just tagged along. I just tagged along. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then once experiencing a couple rush events at these two fraternities we went to, he... Uh, he and I had some fun, and I was like, okay, this could be a possibility for me in the future sometime next semester or next year. And then as rush season was ending, I passed by a, tab- a table near the end of the rush week, and uh-huh. they had a they had a dragon on that table. Like, well, that's their symbol. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll check out that table. So I checked out the table, and they just seemed like a bunch of average guys, you know, like not frat dudes. They just look like a bunch of video gamers and stuff like that. So right. I was like, okay, what's up, guys? And they gave me a unique-looking card, and... I went to probably their second to last event, which was um, rock climbing um, in in Fremont or Newark, and so they just seemed very genuine. So I, I ended up joining the first ever semester, and my roommate didn't uh, join a fraternity at all. The yeah. one that got me. Oh, the, the one that wanted to. Yep. So so I ended up. How was that dynamically? Because we're cool after that. Yeah, yeah, we we're, we were cool. The funny part is, um, so there are three of us. Um, the third roommate, he is very introverted and didn't rush with us at all. Yeah. But our second semester of freshman year, he ended up becoming a founding father of... Yeah. Oh, don't worry. It's just the headphones. He ended up becoming a founding father of a new fraternity that was on campus. So me and him had joined fraternity, <laughs> and the guy that originally wanted to rush right. was not in one. And then he ended up transferring schools to San Diego, and he joined the same fraternity that I was in. Okay. At a different chapter. That's interesting. So. Yeah, because I remember seeing you with your fraternity, and they totally did not look like the stereotypical jocks. You guys look like, you know, very average-looking yeah. guys. Yeah. In my and freshman year to about my uh, junior year, we were uh, average age, and the fraternity was a lot older. We were uh, There were older guys, which is why it allowed me to mature a little faster with them. Yeah. Um, and they valued bringing in genuine people and then, uh, you know, allowing a good balance and like giving everyone a chance in the fraternity obviously the dynamic and the personality is going to be changing over the years as people come in so now i would say my fraternity is a lot younger and um there's they have more of a brand built before that we didn't have before Mm -hmm. but i I still wouldn't say that it's a it's a negative brand that it's kind of prevalent in other. Well, it's kind of hard, right? Because already having fraternity in front of yeah. a house gives it a a, a stigma, yeah, kinda for sure, yeah. Uh, but your, I remember your your frat house was actually not that uh, far from it was the Hugh Gillis uh, building, yeah, the, the film building, yeah. Uh, you guys were on San Fernando Street, yeah. Because we guys were the only frat on that street. On that street, we were the only fraternity, yeah. And then Greek Row is on Tenth and Tenth uh, and. San Carlos and San, between San Carlos and San Fernando on 10th and 11th is where a lot of them were. It's funny you call it Greek Row. Yeah, I mean not I, really a Greek I, Row. I, but. I refer to it as Frat Row, but oh okay, that's pretty cool, man. And it's funny how they got you with the dragon. That's, that's what sold it to you. Yeah, I mean that's that those initial initial thing, and then and then you know how other fraternities 
their invitation or like their um, advertising cards, their rush cards are like big stock cards by probably three by four, five by seven. That year when they were rushing, they gave out business cards that folded, like foldable business cards. So it would be like business card side and you would fold it open and you'd see the events that they have. So that stood out to me as well. Uh. Presentation, you know? That's why when I was in the fraternity and I was recruitment chair my second year, I did the same thing. I had foldable business cards and I was very about making sure our brand was recognizable. So mm. that's what sold me, so I tried to sell it back. So it's like a bit of marketing you kind of picked up there. I, I there. learned a lot. Yeah. I learned event planning. I learned marketing. I learned... Dude, um, all the things you need to filmmaking. Team really. management. Yeah. 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 Which is no surprise to me that you're doing amazing stuff right now. Uh, but before we get there, let's start You know, from the beginning. I met you, let's see. I met you at SJSU. Yes. And off the bat, dude, you, you were super nice. Like, like your, your niceness like radiated from you. It's, do you, you know what I'm talking about? The people. I, 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 I mean, I, uh, I, I'm I, not trying. You know, you know, brown nose or anything. But but I remember when I met you it was at the equipment room. Oh, in the checkout room, really? In the checkout yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, who is this guy? Because you you were super nice. I was, I was like, a oh. freshman, I think, when I met you. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that a lot. I, I I try to be. Yeah. And you sang a song. I sang a song. Yeah, you sang uh, a cover of of uh, what's that guy? Oh, it was kind of a hit at the time. Mm. I'm yours, Jason Mraz. No, That's like not, my go-to. Not Mraz. Uh, the uh, oh god, why Fun. am I blanking on his name? It was one. What kind of music was it? It was. It was like with a um, what you might call it? Those small guitar. Oh. <laughs> ukulele. <laughs> uh, ukulele. <laughs> ukulele. I'm yeah. blanking out so much right now. But you sang a song, and I was. Oh, AJ Raphael. He's a YouTube guy. No, probably not. Vance Joy. Vance Joy. Riptide. Riptide. Oh, wow. That was so long ago. Yeah, I have periods in my life where I get stuck on a song. I just sing, sing a lot. It was Vance Joy, Riptide, and you were you were belting it out. And for, I, for what reason? Did someone ask me to sing and then I just started singing? I think I did. I, okay. think, I think it was because you and you were with Patrick, and Patrick was in a band at the time. Yes, Patrick uh, was Ameri- in a cappella group. American something. Um, well, before that, he, how I met Patrick was he was in the school acapella team, the men's acapella team, and I really wanted to be on the school acapella team because I was in a choir from first grade to senior year of high school. So wow. I so I came to San Jose State and I was a film I was a comm major with a film minor at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was like I wanna audition for this team and I was a freshman so I went in and I auditioned with Jason Raz, I'm yours. Um, and Patrick was on the team and I, he was like kind of the one of the first points of contact and like one of the only contacts I had with the team and then it just so happened that he ended up dropping out of the team and joining film and doing all that so so you started singing at a very young age yeah yeah is that something that you want to do at that age or was something like your parents had you do um I think it started because of my parents um, but I've always had an inclination to arts so my first in first grade my parents uh, put me in Indian classical music classes mm-hmm. so it's like um, you know just classical Indian music if you look up Carnatic music that's what it is so at simultaneously while they put me in those classes they also put me in the school choir um, that would happen after school every day and it was my my first grade teacher that was also running the choir program so it was pretty easy for me to adapt so I just I just did both of those at the same time in first grade so then it was just first grade up until we moved from Fremont in fourth grade I still continued Indian classes um, and then I found another choir in sixth grade so I didn't do choir fourth and fifth but then I found another one in sixth grade so then I just kind of 
kept singing and I stopped with the Indian music classes in uh, seventh grade. Why? Why? Because I mean, uh, at that time I'm a, I'm a preteen and mom, dad, I don't want to keep going to these classes. And yeah, I just, I just, I just didn't want to practice. I think that's what it was. I didn't put, I didn't yeah. want to put in the effort. I, I, are you first generation American? I was uh, born in India. Oh, so you're born. In, what part of India is your family from? South India. South it, India. The, the the state is called Tamil Nadu. Okay, and and the, it seems like your parents were already into the arts. Were they musicians themselves or? Not artists? at all, actually. Um, my my, I think I think how it goes is my dad really wanted to be into music when he was a kid, but he never really had the opportunity. So after he grew up, he put us into music, and then he himself went to uh, vocal lessons and. Uh, there's Indian drum called the Mirdangam, and so he also went to classes for that with my brother. So, so he wasn't messing around. That was a legit thing. He he was passionate about. Yeah, I mean, he still sings uh, like for fun now, as I do. But yeah, how about your, your mother? No, my mom. My mom's not really into the arts. Not into the arts. No. So the, you, you mentioned that they well, move- if you count cooking as an art, dude, Indian cooking is definitely a fucking art. Yeah, exactly. So it's an art and science. So, like, I remember I got a friend from my from from India and every time she, she not she cooks but her dad cooks I'm, I'm there all the time I'm like fuck it anything yeah because uh, it's so diverse and, and so many different flavors but you mentioned that your family moved from India to you were born in India mm-hmm. uh, you have siblings yeah I have a younger brother he was also born in India um, and we moved to Boston right when he was he was born in 1997 July and I think we moved like when he was only like four or five months old in 97 mm. my dad came over first to start his job and then my mom came over with me as a three-year-old and my brother as a baby what line of work is he my brother your dad oh my sorry my dad is a project manager at applied materials so software engineering okay yeah i didn't know boston had a had a tech uh i mean it was in the, it was in the um late 90s so it was kind of popping up everywhere but the dot-com bubble thing. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not exactly too sure uh where he was working in boston yeah. but it's it, right now for the last since we moved to fremont in 2000 he's been working at applied materials in santa clara do you have any memories of those moves like i mean it must have been drastic to go from from southern yeah. india to yeah to to boston and then to sunny california i kind of have like a third person uh memory view of uh, all these experiences so like i have a third person memory of me in preschool in india um there was a time where um in india i was hanging out with my my grandpa and my parents went to a movie and you know like india the roads aren't as neatly built as it is in america so um there's a ditch right next to us and like i think they were doing some construction it was like a four or five foot drop into the ditch and I was hanging out with my grandpa and I was just imitating him because I was just being a little kid yeah. and I, I tripped and I fell head first into the ditch and I like cracked my head open and I, actually if you see on my forehead I have like a cross right there right in the middle of my forehead alright a little bit so yeah. those, that's like from the stitches um, but yeah so I remember that from a third point, person point of view and kind of my uh, classmates uh, sending me cards back home so I remember things like that um, and then the move itself I remember not knowing English and my mom teaching me English at home and apparently when I was in kind uh, I finished preschool and then also started kindergarten in Boston we moved around on the East Coast a little bit so Boston uh, Philadelphia so uh, but I remember uh, my mom told me that I would just go there and I would start speaking Tamil which is my home language 
in, in school and the teachers wouldn't know what to say to me. They're just like, uh, this kid needs to know English. <laughs> they probably thought it was just Spanish. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so my mom taught me English at home. Um, also, I grew up vegetarian. So I, at school, I remember this as well. My, the teacher would bring, um, it was like a movie day or something. They're passing around goldfish, you know, the crackers. Right. And uh, I got I got a bowl of goldfish. I said, sorry, I can't have this. I'm vegetarian. <laughs> Because you thought they were literal fish. Dude, I, they look like fish to me, so... <laughs> they were shaped like fish. They, they shaped like fish. So I right. told her I can't have this, and she's like, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, man, I mean, I mean, looking back on those memories, I really... I, I remember Boston and Philadelphia a lot. In Philadelphia, I think we lived actually in a hotel-slash-apartment-type building, and the school bus would come and pick me up and drop me off right in front of the school uh, the building. Right after I got back from school, I'd walk into the lobby and go to the kitchen of the building, and the ladies there would see me. They're like, oh, hey, and they'd give me a bag of fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies, and then I'd take that upstairs, and I'd go watch Magic School Bus and the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. So yeah. those are some really vivid memories I have. Uh, and then the move, right before I moved from the East Coast to California... I remember the day I was leaving and people were like, oh, you're going to California? I heard it's so hot there. You're going to melt. And I'm like, oh, my God, why am I moving from Boston to California? It's going to be so hot. Well, wasn't, isn't southern India pretty tropical, like hot? Yeah, 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 it is. So why were you so worried about the heat? Just Because you were, at that time you were acclimated I, to the I was acclimated to the, to the, East, to the East Coast, Coast Yeah, and like, okay. I was used to snow. And, and, and all these other kids who are also four years old are hyping up. The fact that California is not that great, so obviously it's a big move. So I, right. I end up going and I cry on my first day of school in Fremont, uh-huh. but uh, you know I'm still in California and I love it. So, so you you're in choir throughout your, pretty much your your academic career. Yeah, pretty much on, up until middle senior. school. Uh, was is that where kind of film kind of started being an inspiration for you? Or was it something you developed in college? I would probably say film subconsciously just like got its place in my heart from a young age as well. Um, because in India, if you look at um, the entertainment industry, movies are huge, huge, huge. Movies shape culture there. Um, and another thing about Indian film is that each state or like each region has its own film industry. So it's not just Bollywood, all of India. North India has Bollywood, then South India has Hollywood, Tollywood, Mollywood. So it's like different sections. Too many woods, dude. <laughs> Too many woods. They got to come up with different names. <laughs> but uh, so so um, I would I, I'm mostly used to watching um, South Indian Tamil films, so that would fall under Hollywood. But um, yeah, so I would I watched a lot of Indian movies up until. I mean, I still do, but I didn't watch American movies until I was in seventh or eighth grade. Well, going back, saying that the different industries are di- are by regions and they're different. Were there any distinct styles or or, or necessarily uh, uh, storytelling or, or or just in general? Was there a differences amongst amongst the different films and the regions they came from? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, usually Bollywood has a, a higher production um, because they tend to have more money, but also it comes down to the geographical location. If you look at a a state called Kerala in India, it's very green, green area. So obviously like in Indian cinema, there's, there's these musical transitions and it's pretty much like you take an album and a movie and you put it together and you have, it's like a musical on a film format. And so they, obviously they will travel to like Switzerland and Denmark and, uh, Mexico and shoot some cool sequences for the dances. 
but for as as for the film itself, um, I would say there's uh, Kerala is very tropical and green. So like, if you go to that state, you might get some more of that, or just the common topics that people would talk about. Um, South India is usually made fun of for its uh, dramatic um, depictions of the lead uh, actors. Uh, there's a huge thing in South Indian cinema and sometimes North Indian cinema as well that's very commercial. They love to incorporate all different aspects of uh, entertainment into one film. So you get action, comedy, romance, uh, music, everything like a family entertainer package, and it's very commercial. Mm-hmm. And and the big thing is you're gonna have that lead hero. They call it a hero, a heroine, and a villain. Like those are the primary roles that you'll see in classical uh, stories. Except these days uh, they're adapting to what the Western world is producing. But um, so so a lot of before common day when people are talking about directors and cinematographers and editors in India, the actors held preference. For above anyone else, so mm-hmm. like they are top dogs, and like if you see in India, a lot of the politicians, uh, actors get into politics because they have such a high role uh, in in society. Like people look up to them, right? And so, sorry, I, I don't remember remember where I was going with, but yeah, how is it? How it? How well, it's you, different? You you were saying how s- southern India has commercial. The, the styles of filmmaking is, is different, and you said that there's more. You know, I guess a a soap opera. Yeah, I mean, I would say more so uh, maybe like five, ten years ago is when they like really uh, mid-90s to uh, mid-2000s was where like that was really heavy. And I'm not going to say that's bad because a lot of those movies were good, but there would be like slow motion shots of the actor's feet and then the actor putting on sunglasses and the actor getting out of a car slow motion and like just building him up to be larger than life but if you look at films now these days it's very grounded and so like some some directors are choosing to make all of their song sequences a part of the story where it's just like background music or they just get rid of songs altogether Mm. Um, and they're kind of like humanizing the characters a little bit more these days but yeah if you go to different regions you'll see different stories um which yeah right. i would definitely agree wow, i didn't know that it's pretty cool now you, you mentioned that you didn't see your first american film until you were in seventh grade is that what you said or seven years well old? i i did watch american films i just wasn't really uh, a part of american culture as much until i was at the end of uh, in middle school pretty much because up until then, I, a lot of my entertainment came from watching Indian films and listening mm-hmm. to Indian music or watching American uh, children's TV show. So it was like, if you're if I'm in fifth grade and they would give me a questionnaire to just get to know me and they'd say, who's your favorite actor? What's your favorite song? What's your favorite TV show? I would say my favorite song is probably the Pokemon theme song. And my favorite actor is an Indian actor, Rajinikanth. He's like a superstar in India. Uh-huh. And then um, my favorite TV show would be, again, like Yu-Gi-Oh! or something. So I, I didn't know who Ben Stiller was or Jim Carrey okay. until like later on. So what was that first film you saw that, that, oh, that, first that, that really made an impression on you? Oh, that's that's actually difficult. I can tell you because films, I had American films I saw on TV regularly and like... I was into Pokemon, so like I think the first big American movie I saw in theaters with my parents was in Boston. It was Pokemon the movie. Oh man, I dragged my parents into that too. I, I love that movie. I had to apologize to them after. Really? Because <laughs> I was enjoying the shit out of that yeah. movie. And then a, a couple of years ago, now as an adult, I look back at the movie. I'm like, Whoa, doesn't it age as well. Does it not? 
Have you seen the movie lately? The Not original lately. Pokemon movie? No, I haven't. Well, for seen me, it. that was the experience I got. I was like, oh my God, I dragged my dad into this. I'm so yeah. sorry. But at the time as a kid, man, I, I, I remember begging my dad to go let me go see that. That movie is very well marketed. You know, McDonald's or Burger King was giving out their toys and like you'd see posters everywhere. And well, I, I was just at the TV show in general, right? Oh yeah, exactly. And the games, right? Um, but apart from that, I, um, I was big on Spider-Man as a kid and... Uh, I watched I watched some American movies here and there uh, with my parents, but I think when it comes to music in middle school, my cousins, the first like artist they first artist and song they introduced to me while I was in sixth or seventh grade was The Fray, How to Save a Life. Mm-hmm. So that's like the um, first time someone else introduced an American song that's not a part of a show before to me. And then after that in middle school, I was like, Hey guys, I don't really know American music. Can you guys help me out? And uh, introduced me to the culture and so that's when in middle school I started listening to Green Day and Good Charlotte and Yellow Card and Chris Brown and Rihanna and it was I mean that's that's like a weird mix right but no, it seems about right yeah but what's interesting here is like it seems like you made an, an actual effort at middle school yeah why is that to, to at least an actual effort to you know to get into yeah. the American mainstream I would say in middle school is culturally when, sorry yeah. so, so when I was in Fremont um my entire friends community uh i mean fremont has a huge south asian community so so if i did surround myself with south asians it wasn't that big of a deal that i wasn't involved in american culture because all of us were kind of the same um, because we were all heavily involved in indian culture Mm -hmm. but when i moved to pleasanton in fifth grade the, the indians that i met or the south asians i met in pleasanton were more american than I was or more American than my friends in Fremont. So I needed something to relate to my friends. So it sounds like you're having trouble in some ways, re- relating to them and kind of kind of feeling an outsider, essentially. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say I felt really, really culturally separated, but I would say I, I wanted to understand what they were talking about or I wanted to uh, get into American music and not just be... Uh, watching the unknown you know mm-hmm. um so so i know a couple of my friends were in he had green day posters up or like they would share music with one another so i would just like hey i have i have an ipod now i should listen to music and i should not always be blasting indian music i was kind of i mean there were points in middle school where that's when you're creating your identity and understanding starting to understand who you are or what you want and and so I'm in school. I don't want my friends to know that I listen to Indian music because I'm really ashamed because I'm a middle schooler and I think I'm really cool. So, yeah, yeah. So my middle school years were the worst for me. For Why me. is that? <sighs> That's when I started getting fat. Oh, dude, same. <laughs> I, was, I was I was very chubby up until college. Uh, that's where I started getting, you know, puberty. Mm-hmm. So I, I was getting boners, and I was like, "Why, why is this happening in math class? What do, do I have? A, do I have like a, a number fetish? What's going on here?" Yeah. And yeah, it was it was it was tough for me, but uh, but you continued on. You went through high school, doing your thing, and then what was the game plan out of high school, going into college? Okay, so I guess touching back on uh, what you said about where film came into play, um, so so Indian cinema is where I I loved watching movies since I was a kid, and same and then it kind of like went into American film when I was a senior in high school is when there's a lot of pressure junior and senior year from all the parents around you, all your friends and teachers where, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what do you want to do in college? Where are you going to go to college? What are you majoring in? And I knew I was not going to do CS or bio 
um, because I tried CS in high school and I I couldn't bring myself to really be attracted to coding. And I mean, like, I want to learn coding at some point in the near future, but I don't see it as a career for me. And I couldn't get into science as well. My whole life I had been into creative writing, I had been into singing, I had been to, uh, started getting into f photography and some video making at that point. So I was like, okay, most of my life I have leaned towards the arts, so I need to go in that direction. So when I was looking at colleges, I had applied under comm studies, journalism, media studies, some places I submitted to film. Yeah. But I, I tried not to do film in particular but because I thought, hey, if I go vague enough, it'll give me a lot of uh, ways to expand myself. Right. Um, so I, I got into uh, San Jose State, San Francisco State, UC Riverside, and that's it, uh, of the places I applied to. Um, so I got in for media studies and comm studies for SF State and San Jose State, respectively. And then Riverside, I think, was also... Uh, film or uh, comm or something like that so I was a comm major film minor um, at San Jose State and I chose San Jose State because I, I visited all three and then I was it came down to SF State or San Jose State and SF State when I went it was a gloomy day and San Jose State was a bright and sunny day so that's why I chose San Jose State mm. but um, yeah so I, I came into San Jose State I, I did comm and film minor and then I just kind of felt I didn't uh, feel like comm what communication was was really the direction like it was wide enough because i like communicating pe to people and interaction but i still didn't feel like it was right so then i switched the two and I became a film major and a comm minor because i thought hey i still need that broad background mm -hmm. but as i got more involved in film and i still took extra comm classes for no reason i was just like i'm i'm capable of doing whatever the comm classes are teaching me without that minor um attached so i just got out of San Jose State with the film major. Nice. Now, what was the biggest challenge you had coming in? And what were so, some of the, the, the stuff you picked up that left you with an impression, at least in, in the film? Um, I guess the hardest part growing up was answering the question of what interested me and where I wanted to go with my career. That's a hard question because people are always asking you that from when you're a kid. So once I decided to go into the direction of film, the hard part was bringing, well, coming up with ideas. And, you know, that's when I first met you because we had that uh, screenwriting workshop that we did together a couple couple times. I think Ashley was in one with us as well. Around the time, right before I wrote Sunrise, you, you helped me um, kind of look at my script. Oh, my, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, yes. Hold on. Was this for the club for FPS? For well, well, we didn't shoot uh, Sunrise for FPS, but it was um, a lot of people from FPS helped. And yeah, dude, that was a great fucking movie. Good job on that one. Thank you. I, I mean, I was really impressed because that was kind of your de your debut at SGSU, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. What was the the uh, conceptualization of that story? Oh, um, well. I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. Um, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. No, no, no worries. Um, so, my, so I guess my first big film project at SJSU would have been my first Campus Movie Fest project. So that was, uh, I was a freshman and I knew only one film guy from my high school and I was never friends with him beforehand. And I just, I saw the Campus Movie Fest table, I got their flyer, I went up to him and I messaged him and I said, Andy we should participate in this because we know each other from high school, we're both doing film, and there's this contest going on on campus, and it's film. 
so why not so then we made a film called color my world and it was just me and him that uh did everything and i i got two actors from back home and Mm -hmm. one guy to make music for us from back home as well so five people um and we made that and we played top 16 got a couple awards and after that i didn't really do film then uh i think sunrise was my junior year so i didn't do uh i didn't do film or campus movie fest in sophomore year and i would say my drawback is i didn't get involved with film as heavily as i would have wanted until later at the end of college or after college but uh, so sunrise was um in 100w uh, screenwriting um, the teacher would basically have everyone write a script whether it be for a for a film or a animation or a stage play. Who was it? Sublet? No. This was Barnaby uh, Khan. Kathy, uh, Kathy Khan. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. She's oh, that's awesome. right. She's I took awesome. her test too. Yeah, she was great. She's awesome. Um, so I, I love that she promoted the stream of conscious free, uh, free writing, and she so she, she had everyone write a script, and all the students would vote on their favorites, and they would produce uh, the entire class would produce four films for film stage plays or animations mm-hmm. so my film was selected as one of them it was sunrise and so the conceptualization was i am very growing up as a kid especially through middle school and high school i was very much into researching about dreams into uh, like out of body experiences and uh just kind of a trippy stuff and i wanted to write something that was trippy and uh get a lot of people to help me make something at that point, I had never been on an official uh, crew or a film set, only on like guerrilla style shoots and like things that I just did on the spot by myself. So uh, Ashley Valenzuela was actually in the class with me, and I had just met her. She's uh, so great. She's awesome. She's such a sweetheart. Yeah. I had just met her a month before that because me and her were working on a. Um, we, we were on a crew for a forty-eight hour film that our friend Marlo was doing, and so. We were on a overnight thing, and I had barely talked to her, but we met that time, and then we were in the class together. My film got selected, and Ashley, she she was paired up with me in a, in a group to work on Sunrise. So she ended up being my uh, DP, and so it was it was that was probably the biggest learning experience and like jumpstart to getting into film for me because I wrote that script and people chose it, and they didn't know what it entailed. Luckily, I had Ashley to kind of advise me because she had been on FPS projects. She knew how, how a set would run. Yeah, but she, she's be- a badass, dude. She's she's doing a lot of cool shit right now. Yeah. So so I'm kind of looking up well, to her. The thing that stood out with that film was these amazing landscape shots. Yeah, yeah. You guys yeah. got out of it. How was that like? What do you guys use? I'm I'm sure it was some kind of a drone, but just staging the shots and and, and these beautiful locations. Yeah. So so originally in the script, if you look at it, um, the experience. When I first wrote it, it's just about in the original script, the the main character, he's not blind. In in the final product he is, but the main character Oh, I'm sorry, he is blind in the script. He he ends up taking some pot brownies and he falls asleep and then he gets an out of body experience where he can see. Uh, and he kind of starts tripping out. He's like, Wow, I, I can see and, and he ends up op- going out his front door and into a forest. And so he runs up the forest. He's kind of experiencing his vision and 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 these new perceptions in his out of body experience. And he meets a dream being that offers him vision in real life after he wakes up. But in exchange, he needs to give up his hearing. So he ends up giving up his hearing and comes back to reality and kind of like regrets it. And that's how it ends. So that's that was the original script. 
and and then I, I I sent it to different people, and my friend Marlo helped me. Um, he looked over and and kind of we the directions changed in co- almost entirely for the film, where it kind of got a lot darker, and it changed so that it would be um, the main character's mother had passed away when they were a kid, and he had a hard time dealing with the grief of that. So. He, along with being blind he's also depressed and on meds and he overdoses on the meds which takes him into an out-of-body experience so he leaves his front door into a forest and he's exploring running through a forest he trips and falls on the forest and lands on a beach where he encounters his mother and he is he doesn't recognize her when he sees her because he's blind um in reality so he doesn't realize that what he's seeing is his mother but when he touches her face and he just starts crying because he realizes that is his mom and he's he's bawling and that's kind of a cathartic uh, experience him to to overcome grief um and as you know with with shooting films and any project in general there's gonna be drawbacks and setbacks that are going to change your final product so uh unfortunately our our two actors um nika burnett who's just who's also amazing and grant corvin who's also amazing They weren't available on the same day, so we couldn't do an out-of-body experience. We could only do a vision that our lead would have of his mom talking to him. Right. So um, how the crew ended up coming together was obviously we had a ton of FPS help out, and that was all thanks to Ashley because she had those connections. Mm-hmm. I knew no one. And Ashley helped me get helped get a lot of people onto the crew. And uh, if you know Steven Nguyen, uh, he's an amazing cinematographer as well. Yeah. He uh, helped us produce the project by offering a bunch of his equipment, and he also uh, DP'd part of it and helped uh, guide Ashley as well into the project, and we shot in his Sony FS7, um, which is why the film looks so beautiful. And then the landscape itself, one of the guys on the in the class and on the project with me, Taylor Bracey, he, uh, we were just location scouting. I location scouted with Eric Wong, and then I scouted with Taylor Bracey, and we found a place in San Jose called, um, it's an open, it's an open space preserve, uh, high Sierra, it's called Sierra Open Space, Sierra Vista Open Space Preserve. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to go watch a cool sunset, I would definitely recommend it. But yeah, it's basically a trail, and then there's single lone trees that are on top of a mountain. Originally, I wanted a forest, but then the single tree was a pretty cool look. So, um, yeah, we chose that location. We went there at 6 a.m., and uh, unfortunately, Ashley couldn't come until later on that day. So it was me, Steven. I think Josh Pisanos was on there uh, with some equipment helping us light. So Steven brought some people to help him AC. And we got that that beautiful uh, landscape shot of Nika walking from the bottom of the hill to the tree, mm-hmm. um, and got some really cool improvised shot that shots that Steven decided to add as well. And then luckily the drone is uh, also something that we had, and Steven well, that was the last shot we got, and Steven flew that over the tree and threw that in, and uh, that was a weekend before. Uh, the 100W project was due and then the Golden W Awards were that Wednesday so that we shot on Sunday so then it was due for class on Tuesday and Steven was so you only had one day to edit it all together yeah and Steven killed it um, yeah. we also we didn't have so we had just found out that uh, Grant wasn't available so we had to shoot that entire improvised scene of Nika just kind of walking around and looking at things and we got a rainbow in the background and so we just shot a bunch of stuff and then I needed a monologue because there was no interaction between the mom and the lead so uh, I just wrote two paragraphs and I said hey 
uh, Nika, if you can just read this, and I, I said, Stephen, take whatever sounds good in this and put it into the film. He ended up putting both paragraphs into the film, which looking back, I thought that it sounds way too corny, but some people like it. I don't like watching it again because I just, I feel like that was, it looks so beautiful because of Ashley and Steven and the entire crew. But I think that's where um, I've been in a writing rut since then because I, I kind of like beat myself up about uh, writing how I wrote that project in its final version. But, but, um, well, it's, it should be a learning lesson. I agree. I agree. Well, you know, the fact that you got it done is the accomplishment already. Yeah. I think that's like, 90% of you got it done yeah it's edited it's out there yeah because to a lot of people that's the hardest part yeah I definitely definitely and the 10% of you looking bad being like you know, and you're and you should you should be critical of your past work like yeah there's some movie the, the black and white stuff I've did there's some, I can't watch I just can't see people some people really like them I'm like mm-hmm. I can't see it but that's only because you know you know you're growing as an artist growing as an artist and you're looking you're, you're, you're reflecting you know some mistakes or just you know some stuff but already I could tell that you have a, a great filmmaking gene in you and that is you could think on the spot which mm-hmm. is super important because mm-hmm. like you said in middle production there's so many things that could go wrong mm-hmm. and, and, and you as you know the director or even the producer they're looking for you for answers right so you, and you got you got to come with you know almost fake confidence and and think on the spot yeah um, how, how was the feedback to that film? Because I, I knew, I know when that came out, it was a pretty big deal in, in the uh, in the department. Yeah, it was it was it was really cool because I was officially Ashley's first time as a DP, and uh, my first time as a director on a bigger set. And uh, the first, actually, the first day of shooting was my biggest learning experience so far in my career because uh, we showed up and the producer who was a part of our crew for the for the class he never he never ended up sending out the call sheet. Um, the day before so the crew didn't know what time they were supposed to come to the set and me and Ashley holy shit me and Ashley are sitting there and we thought that we he already sent out the call sheet and we're just sitting there and we're like we're like hey man where's the call sheet and he's like oh I didn't send it but I'm at work right now so I can't send it and the the film is set for the the call time is supposed to be an hour away from now yeah so Ashley's like well shit and she sends out the call sheet and like makes a bunch of calls and like has everyone show up and we're there and that's a really messy day because my, me and Ashley, we didn't end up storyboarding beforehand. So then like, there were just like some creative changes that we had to make and improvise on the day of. And we didn't have a craft table. I just had water and chips. And and so at the end of the night- well, um, How long was the shoot planned for? Um, just a, I think that night was supposed to be uh, six hours, okay. but we still needed some food for the for the crew, right? But, sure, some um, cra- six something. hours craft food. Would yeah, be nice. something, it's, yeah. It's a student project. Right. Um, but a lot of these guys, they're doing a lot of professional stuff, and we had very talented crew that day. So, so the assistant director Eric Maciel, he pulled me and Ashley aside at the end of the shoot, and he was just like, "Look, guys, here's what you need to know about a film production and what you need to be successful because today was not successful." And I was like, "Wow!" And that was a wake up call. So then, the second and third day, we shot for three days. Second and third day were, were a lot more smooth, and I want to thank Eric for that for that wake up call. But after the project, the reception was phenomenal. Um, even though, even though I looked at it as a learning experience, it still turned out to be an amazing um, product. And so, uh, Ashley and Steven won uh, best cinematography at the Golden W Awards. We got best audience choice at the FPS Fest. Not best audience choice, just audience choice. Um, and a lot of my friends uh, really dug the the vibes and the cinematography in the film and the kind of monologue that I wrote at the end, even though I think it's corny, I think a lot of people can uh, 
they, they can relate or they like it because the monologue heavily focusing focuses on um, moving past grief and accepting death as just another thing in life. Mm-hmm. And so that's that even though there was a huge chunk of really heavy dialogue at the audience, um, I think I think people ended up liking it and, and it's definitely something I can show out, show to people as my first big project. How soon after that did you join uh, CMF? Uh, so I and for those who don't know, what is CMF? Yeah, so uh, after, uh, this sunrise I did my, my beginning of my junior year. So I think it was 2015, 14, 2014 is when we did that. Um, so I did CMF my freshman year, and then I did CMF again as a student my senior year. Uh, and I... I had asked Wei Lin, who was a promotions manager, in my senior year, I was looking for an internship for the San Jose State internship class, and I said, hey, Wei, uh, can I get an internship with CMF right now? Um, is that possible? Like, how does that work? And she said, well, CMF does have internships, but you would need to take a semester off and travel on the road with us as a, as a co-op. And it was already my senior year at that time, and I was like, well, I'm going to graduate, so what are your full-time rules? And she explained everything. And I was like, okay, looking into it. And uh, graduation is approaching. And Patrick Mattis, he, he, full circle, he messaged me. He said, hey, I, I know you're looking into working for CMF. I saw on their website that they are hiring soon. Uh, check it out. So I applied for, Wei Lin was actually, that was her last semester. So she was uh, cutting off her role as promotions manager for the team. And they were actually hiring for a bunch of roles. And so I applied for the promotions manager, which is, is uh, basically the same uh, requirements as a recruitment chair for my fraternity, which is marketing and uh, recruiting and uh, talking to people. So, mm-hmm. so I applied and I applied in like April. The the senior tour manager who does interviews never actually got my email, so I had to send it again. And I did the interview right after graduation in the end of June, uh, and then I got a call so like I, I i had a family trip planned um my entire family and a couple of their families we were going on a cruise to alaska and we had just flew to portland because the port to alaska was in portland so we stayed the night at a hotel and the next morning we were going to leave for the alaska cruise and that was the last week of july and i got the call that morning before we left to alaska and uh, she was just like hey we want to offer you the job for promotion manager at cmf and for those that don't know, CMF is Campus Movie Fest, which is a uh, the world's largest student film festival, which um, is based out of Atlanta, Georgia. They started in 2000, and tours actually just go out to college campuses, and we provide students with cameras, laptops, tripods, mics, headphones, any filmmaking equipment and resources that they would need to learn how to make a film or make a film and compete against each other to place in the red carpet premiere at each school. Well, what's really cool, unlike, you know, festivals where they're kind of, you know, city-based or whatever, or region, the Campus Movie Fest actually goes and travels to different campuses. Yeah. So, like, they have, like, a a mini festival every couple months, essentially. They have a mini festival. I mean, technically, we have a... When I'm on the road, I have a premiere every week. Every... That's that's crazy. Yeah. How how was that? It must have been exhausting to be on the road and and doing so much logistical work like that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... um, on, on the grand scheme of things, when you look at it, I tell people that, hey, what do you do for work? And I say, I work for a film festival, we travel, we stay at Airbnbs, and we host competitions. Um, and yeah, and they're like, oh, that sounds like so cool. You're always traveling. 
and it is cool it's it's a really cool opportunity but along with every other thing in life it has its uh uh i guess cons but the cons are that yeah it's going to be exhausting because we drive everywhere there's going to be long hours you start early some days and some days you end it you can get back home at 2 2 a.m because say you have a premiere at san in san jose uh, and that goes until 11:30, and then we our Airbnb is our Airbnb is in SF, and we have to drive from San Jose to SF. We get home at 2 a.m., drop off the truck somewhere. Yeah. So um, yeah, it does get exhausting. You're living and working with the same people, that gets exhausting. But I think I was blessed with traveling to some great places, um, meeting some amazing filmmakers, and also being with a good team to work and live with. Now, being in so many uh, student films. Uh, 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 events is there a certain theme that you've noticed that a lot of people would gravitate towards yeah um, it is it is region based and time based um, I think a lot of students in a lot of college students are at the time of their life where they are talking about identity they're talking about a lot of social issues that are close to their heart uh, they're talking about the stress of college itself and finding oneself in college because that's a common theme that you'll see in films. Um, and so also going to location, say for example, I'm, uh, I'm at Sonoma State and we just had those fires a year, uh, almost a year ago. Um, they, you have films about, films about the fires. Then you have um, the entire Trump presidency that people are going to be talking about there's document loads of documentaries that we get about about the trump uh, presidency we get videos about the election we get videos about um what is the what is the entire conflict that happened in the fall of last year about uh, immigrant deportation we got a lot of immigrant deportation centered documentaries and films just to bring awareness to that because mm -hmm. it was it was pretty painful for a lot of people a lot of videos about, and, and these are all social issues, but a lot of videos about you know homosexuality and acceptance and love, and then you have narratives, and people are uh, doing a lot of films uh, to physically manifest and personify depression and anxiety and attack those ideas, and then students that have their own original concepts and ideas, we get musicals and we get uh, kind of sci-fi thrillers, and these students make these films in a week, and it's kind of unbelievable to see what they can make in a week. So, what was the biggest learning lesson you learned from that experience? From working with Campus Movie Fest, working with Campus Movie Fest, traveling, seeing all these films, how they're being put together, and, and presenting them. Uh, I'm sure that must have left an impression on you. Right. Um, I guess looking at a from a, from a third person point of view, watching these students make the films, you get to see um, how much pre-production matters. Uh, because a lot of, I mean, as a student, when I did CMF, obviously I knew that pre-production matters, but you see a lot of students when you're tabling and marketing the festival, all these students come up to you and they're telling you their ideas. I'm like, wow, that sounds awesome. And then you see them throughout their week. You see them coming up to you again, telling you how it's going. You see them posting on Facebook. You see them, uh, at the launch day when they pick up equipment and talk about their ideas, their setbacks, their, um, mistakes or what they had to do to improvise. And then you see the actual film result and you see what they had to change for the film and uh, then the end product and then the, also the audience reaction if it screens at the premiere. So um, kind of pre-production and just the entire production production process itself I learned about. Um, that I, Most of it I knew from college but you kind of see the little things here and there. 
as well as the fact that you don't need such big equipment and a high production value to make a good film. Mm-hmm. A lot of these students make movies that are between 30 seconds and five minutes long and they make some phenomenal stuff and you don't need uh, a lot of money and a lot of equipment and a lot of people to make some really amazing stuff that will take you far. Mm-hmm. So, well, well, you had the experience to go to Cannes as well. Right. How was that like? Just being at the heart of, of the industry at its most prettiest, uh, darkest, uh, uh, most, you know, everything. How was that being in the middle? It was also a, a huge step, I, I would say, in my growth as a filmmaker because uh, obviously as a CMF student or a student in general, one of your goals is to attend the Cannes Film Festival or attend a large film festival itself. And so CMF sends about 30 to 40 film filmmak- or films and its crew uh, not the entire crew, whoever wants to come to Cannes to screen their film in the short film corner at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, and then they also send staff from CMF as well. And I was very lucky enough to attend as one of the staff members for CMF. And it was amazing. Two and a half weeks of spending time with these talented filmmakers that we brought on. So spending time with uh, about 50 people. Um, and also being in the centralized location of international film, uh, there are in, there's an international pavilion where you have all these different countries from around the world having their tents and boots set up that is just massive, representing their own film background, representing their countries to basically advertise and market for other industries to come and shoot in their countries, but also to advertise their films. So it kind of brought film to an international scale and just look at it in that sense. So I met people from Austria, I met people from Brazil, I met people from India. And so it was just eye-opening to how big film is and how it, it's not a small industry and it's not uh, easy to get lost and lose my way and not make money. It's There's always going to be somewhere I can go and create and get my work shown. And which was cool was, one, so they have happy hours in the short film corner and the day that I think Vimeo took over the happy hour corner, I saw Josh Pisano's recent music video playing on the screen. Oh, snap. And in the short film corner, I was like, what the heck is going on? And apparently Vimeo was just playing their top 25 of the year. Yeah. Um, just like a recap of it. And so it was just really cool to see someone I knew from San Jose, um, their film being shown on the TV. And I texted him immediately. I'm like, Josh, I see your stuff. And this was really cool. But apart from that, I think Cannes was just um, seeing that multitude and... Uh, of international film coming together and everyone uh, with these bright ideas and how they got from one place to the next, where they're going next and seeing what it takes to be a feature that's going to screen at Cannes um, whether it's American or from other parts of the world and I guess uh, another cool part was seeing films before they're going to have a wide release that was cool as well Now, Do you feel like this in some ways uh, inspired you even more? Like are you because you mentioned that the after after you did the your film that you were having like a, a creative rut i had rut. i had a, a rut in writing um bef- or in, in college i was very much focusing on writing and directing um because i hadn't decided where i wanted to place myself as an artist yet and i was just saying yeah i'm, I'm a writer director cinematographer and editor as everyone does so i didn't know um, and I kind of just continued on and tried to figure out what I want to do and on the side still taking a bunch of photos and trying to put that out. Um, and then after I graduated is when I started realizing, 
well one i was in a creative rut so i couldn't it, it was hard for me to bring myself to write a story that i liked because i had so many expectations for myself and that's kind of what i wanted, I wanted to go towards because I, I had the same thing when i was interning for cinequest after being involved with that and seeing these, all these great films i found myself uh, increasingly more insecure than ever yeah because i see what could be done yeah at, even at, at, a, at a short budget and i guess this in some ways it's very foolish to even think of like oh you know certain expectations that you put on yourself or certain expectations of the work you should put out by now by the experiences you have now and the stuff you you learned and picked up yeah and it's sometimes i find that paralyzing sometimes it takes, me, it takes me a while you know to to re- and that's why i get busy with other stuff yeah to, to kind of distract for me. sure dude but I, I, is that kind of a similar feeling you you kind of had definitely i mean i i started comparing my work to my other past work i started comparing my work to other people's work that were my age yeah um and i started just being feeling like i i wasn't talented enough to be at where i was and you know i would be on sets with other people my age or other people in fps and i would just say wow i'm not as good and i maybe i shouldn't be doing this but everyone has their own direction. They're going to get to a certain point as long as you keep working. But obviously, you're going to con- compare. And so up until sunrise, I was amateur work and just like doing whatever I want. No filter. Once I see a level of expectation that I can meet, then it's kind of backtracks me and makes me feel like I should keep meeting that expectation. <laughs> right. Which isn't necessarily the, the case. It, it, everything is kind of like a wavelength. You're going to go up and down. Might as well just ride the wavelength and see where you can go, right? Right. So, you just got to plow through, you know. Yeah, yeah. So the, that was a creative rut. But um, right after, after that is when I, after um, my senior year when I did CMF again, I made a mockumentary comedy with Garrett Rich called Lost Boys. And it was a Greek, it was about fraternity life um, because I felt like I should do something about fraternities before I graduate college. So I did that for CMF. And uh, it was definitely a passion project and not as high budget as Sunrise. So that was like the next thing following Sunrise and it didn't place at CMF because it was like vulgar, vulgar humor. Um, <laughs> looking back as an employee of CMF right now, I can yeah. definitely see why it didn't, you know, probably move, move to judging or even screen. But I was heartbroken when I was a student. Right. Um, so then graduated and I, I, and I got into CMF. Once I was into CMF and I saw all these students again creating films at a very basic level and still telling amazing stories was when I said, you know, screw this. I'm going to create as much as possible and just like put my work out and get better because there's no reason to just complain. I mean, to this day, it's still hard for me to write, which is why I don't really write as much anymore. Right now, I've, I think I've definitely come to the point where I know for sure that my goal in the industry is to be a cinematographer and that's where what that's what I've been doing for the last two years my my, my head has been focused on that so yeah. um, consistently I've been just on that which uh, looking at your stuff they're pretty great stuff I was watching the your on your website some content you have there and on your photography dude wow I was, I was really really cool to look at uh, talking about your photography it seems like you shoot both in digital and in film mm-hmm uh, how was it working with the 35 millimeter film? How, how do you even get how do you get your hands on a 35 millimeter film these days? Well, being being around FPS, uh, there's a lot of really uh, talented people in FPS that shoot on film, which was like kind Josh of, and yeah, Ashley, yeah, Josh, JP. Ashley, JP, yeah, all those yeah. people, um, and Alan Favela, and uh, I think Keith shoots on film a little bit. So everyone, a lot of people shot on film, and I was like, wow, that's a different look. I've been shooting on digital for a while. Might as well expand my horizon and 
and try film because I feel like if I want to be a cinematographer, I need to understand the mechanics of a camera and me- understand how the properties of light work. Right, that makes sense. And I'm going to get that from a film camera for the most part. So I just, I bought a, I looked into what would be the best film camera to get and a standard one is a Canon A1 program or a Canon A1 and that's what Ashley has. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to get it and it came with 35, uh, it came with a 50 millimeter lens. I just went out and bought some film and I just started shooting. Um, actually, I, I got it because I signed up for a black and white photography class in uh, senior year at San Jose State. Mm-hmm. So it was a black and white photography class and they taught me how to develop black and white uh, photography as well. So that's when I started learning. So I, I had a class to kind of teach me the basics. And then after that on the side, I would also shoot color photography. Um, I don't know how to develop color photos and I haven't de- developed my own photos in a while, but I would just take it into a shop and bring it back and the kind of stunning thing about film is it, it I think it doesn't really require uh, any uh, touch-ups or any color correction or anything mm-hmm. um, if you're basically just experimenting and you you get when I get a result from the camera that I had no expectation for that's when it feels rewarding you know because because I can't see the end product right away I'm just focusing on the image. I'm focusing on uh, what I want to see when I click the shutter. And then I just wind it and I keep moving on until I get developed. And I get mm-hmm. to see, you know, were there any light leaks? Were there, did I get a silhouette or is it just super blown out? And um, it was it was a really cool experience. And so even today, I wouldn't say I know much about film, but I, I get some cool results from shooting film, which is why I keep, I have, I have five roles sitting uh at home right now that i need to get developed but um i haven't i need to find time for that it gets expensive what are you shooting with digitally what uh camera yeah um so from senior year of high school up until last summer i was shooting on a canon rebel t3i okay and i found great use of it and ended up really mastering that camera and then i just last summer i switched over to a sony a7r2 and I had been shooting nice. just on a 35 millimeter mirrorless. Mirrorless. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, it's a beautiful lens. So I, I had I have a Sony, I have that Sony, and then a 35 millimeter aperture is one four. And then recently, just this summer, I got two adap- adapters. That one adapter is uh, Visilex with the with the um, ND filter built in, so then I can attach my Canon lenses to my Sony camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got another adapter that I can attach my film camera lens to my digital camera body. So um, just exper- experimenting more and more. I've never actually touched a, uh, I've never actually uh, you know shot a film myself with a RE or a RED or anything, which is a goal at some day. But I've I've, wor- I've been an assistant um, for you know the last dinner on FPS to Steven and a couple of other films. So it was it was cool to um, see w- where cameras can go and and what they can produce later on for your photography what you know i noticed that you do a lot of shots of people and and facial expressions and stuff like that what is it about that that kind of style that that attracts gravitates you towards that um i don't know i think i just naturally if you if you if you do look on my website i have people places and 35 millimeter and when i do focus on people i want to capture uh when I'm shooting, I think I would like to capture the emotion and the experience that that person or the people are having. And that's a very subconscious thing. I don't really like say, okay, I want you to look like you're doing this. It's more so uh, when I when I grew, in, grew into photography, I would just bring my Canon with me and I would capture moments happening at an event. 
and then pick the best uh, uh, candid shots and edit that and put it out. That's that's what kind of started to happen with my later stuff. Um, and then people would hire me for a graduation shoot or a wedding shoot, and then I would ask that um, I would try to capture the same candid moments apart from the the stage shots that we do. Um, and I, I just like seeing the genuine expression and genuine um, feeling of the moment that people are having, and I want the audience or the viewer when they're looking at the photos to I want to bring them into that moment that I was having when I was taking that photo. So, Raghav, it's great having you here, man. We're closing out real soon. Yeah. Before we do that, uh, what, what are you up to next? What's next for you? What do you got lined up? Yeah, so uh, I've been working for CMF for the last two years. I have my last four-month contract with them up until Thanksgiving this year. So I'll be on the road for, uh, I'll be uh, doing an SF tour um, for two months, and then I'll be in San Diego for a month this year, and then I'll be back in the Bay in December. But uh, in April, I shot a uh, about an eight-minute drama short film um, that's in post-production right now. It's called Flood. And my, my friend and coworker Haley from Virginia, she wrote it. Um, and then, so our, our friend's son is editing that right now, and then we color it. And it should be out in fest- for festivals around October, hopefully. Um, and then yesterday, we just wrapped on a comedy uh, series pilot that my friend Manish and Josh wrote. There, it's their first time uh, writing and directing a script and coming to life so we I ended up getting a bunch of people from San Jose State involved and the last two weeks we were shooting this hilarious 10 minute uh, comedy uh, that just wrapped and we are hoping to have that done and out for festivals in October as well so just Sweet, freelance and short films and uh, where can people check out your stuff uh, you have my website which is ragavravi.com r-a-g-h-a-v r-a-v-i dot com um, I'll have to be uploading, updating that soon. And then you also have my two Instagrams, <laughs> which is Raga Ruby Film and Riggedy Rags on Instagram. Sweet. Raga, pleasure having you here. Thank great you, catching up with you, man. Uh, I, dude, I'm sure there's great stuff coming your way. Thank you so much, George. This was a lot of fun. And there you have it. Make sure to visit his website at ragavravi.com. He has some great photography and some great other film work available to check out. And I know it's been a blast. Too bad it couldn't last. And I want to say thank you for tuning in uh, once again to the GMS Podcast. If you're a regular listener and this is your first time listening in, thank you for checking it out. It wasn't so bad, right? It only took an hour, right? You didn't have to stop at your tracks. You could have kept running at your gym, and you could have uh, kept walking wherever you're going. You, know, you could have continued procrastinating. Maybe you're surfing the web while you're supposed to study. I don't know what your business is. Point is, I'm happy that you tuned into this conversation. Other than that, I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody, and steer clear from the storm. What does that mean? Holy shit, Hoy, what are you talking about? You, you know what I'm talking about. We all have a storm that we're all dealing with. Steer clear. Or take it on head on. There's no halfway. Gonna commit? I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Alright, fuck it. Have a good one and take care. And stay clear from the storm. <laughs>